The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. It's been another busy news week, and we like to review the major stories of the week here on the Black Information Network. Today, we are joined by Black Information Network news anchors Mike Moore and Andrea Coleman to discuss this week's major stories. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. So welcome back to the show, you two. How you doing? Doing well. I love hey, to hear it. I love to hear everything it. Everything is great. Good to good to hear from you too. Wonderful, wonderful. So um let's give the people what they want. Uh big news this week. Uh first Flint and now Jackson, Mississippi. There's another majority black city that's dealing with a water crisis. Andrea, give us more about what's going on in Mississippi. Well, you know, this latest uh incident came from heavy rains that fell um, over a series of days. And uh, the water problem, though, there has, it dates back for for many months, for years, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's going on on the ground there now is they cannot get some of their their water treatment plants uh, up and running and functioning at full capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, So people are under a water boil advisory. They have the National Guard that has been called in. Uh, They also have uh, FEMA on the ground because President Biden has uh, declared an emergency there. And so FEMA uh, is now arriving on the ground and able to offer federal assistance to residents there. Uh, But it's really very disheartening. And the reason for that is not only is it following Flint, uh, but we recently spoke with the mayor there, Mayor Lumumba, uh, for our Meet the Mayors uh, show that airs on Sunday mornings. And he was very forthright about just the issue and the challenge that he's had in getting the state, as well as in some instances, the federal government to help. And what he's saying is that uh, I think he went in and he's asked for funds. And so far, he's gotten about $3 million out of the, the tens of, of, of millions that he's asked for. Um, and so he's just finding some roadblocks uh, that he believes really is uh, based um, and rooted in racism. Uh, Jackson, Mississippi, has a population of 150,000, maybe a little more. It's 82.5% Black. Uh, Leadership there has traditionally been Black. And uh, although it's the capital city, apparently there are some discrepancies uh, in how 
funds are doled out in the city for uh, the predominantly black areas compared to the predominantly white areas. And that follows, follows a model of, of the same kind of fund disbursements and support that they see on a state level. So uh, there's an interstate that runs through there. I think it's uh, Interstate 55. And on one side, it's predominantly white and they get great funding. On the other side, it's predominantly black and they don't get nearly the funds that they need. And so this water crisis really has developed from uh, a longstanding problem and issue that hopefully, maybe, if there's a silver lining anywhere in the hardship and the disaster that these people are facing right now, is that maybe this national exposure and attention will result in some kind of help, some kind of sustainable help that will help them resolve the problem for good. Okay. All right. Now, other news this week, uh, the Maryland High Court rules that the D.C. sniper Lee Boyd Malvo must be resentenced. Mike, give us more on this story. Um, when I uh, read over this story, um, what came to mind, because I certainly remember this story, and, and it, it was unheard of, an African-American perpetrating this kind of crime, the shooter crime with, you know, with, with I can't remember, and, and someone can chime in and tell me how many um, uh, victims there were, but the sniper incident was uncharacteristic of, of African Americans. And as you look back on this story, yes, you do have to go by the rule of law. And, and, and yes, there was, there is now even consideration as to whether or not that young man uh, may have been harshly penalized and not his age taken into account. My thought, however, while this process is uh, ongoing, those people who were riding in their vehicles, who were walking along, who were riding and walking in fear, wondering if they would be the next victim, they didn't have the consideration of how old they were because they were a victim. And I'm probably not the only one who has thought along those lines. But again, it is the, the, the rule of law, and, and we are a country that is governed by laws, so I, I, I understand that. But it, it does bring about those feelings, and I kind of wonder if other folks feel that way as well. Well, you know, this this whole situation stems from um, a recent change in the law that allowed certain leniency or considerations for, for youth, uh, for minors who are tried and convicted. Um, and there's a test to see if they can be... Um, if, if I guess the, the standard is to, to determine if they, uh, were, their behavior was reflecting transient immaturity or if they are permanently incorrigible, right? Which means they, they can't be, uh, they can't be repaired and, and if, for lack of a better word. Um, and so that ruling is what opened the way for this decision to be made that he would be retried. Uh, that came down, if I'm not mistaken, by the U.S. Supreme Court. He actually has been tried and convicted in two states. Uh, in Maryland, he has been convicted of killing six people. In Virginia, he's convicted of killing four. This ruling deals only with the convictions in Maryland. What he's going to do is he's going to be retried, and they're then going to ask and, and uh, consider that test, right? Uh, was his behavior based on transient immaturity? And uh, is, is he beyond repair, right? 
um, he was acting along with an older man at the time of these killings, which took place uh, in the early 2000s, around 2002. Mm -hmm. That man was a 37-year-old named John Allen Muhammad. And they traveled the country and they killed uh, close to a dozen people, right? Um, so experts are saying, based on that Supreme Court ruling and that change, uh, it's probably fair that he is retried. However, it's highly unlikely that his convictions or his sentences will be will be changed. And right now he is serving, if I'm not mistaken, life sentences uh, for each murder. So uh, the chances of him actually uh, being released are very slim. And right now that was the Maryland court that decided that they're going to retry him. In order for Virginia to even consider retrying him, uh, he would have to be released from Maryland first. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where things stand. I think it's it's honorable of the courts to go back and review these cases uh, and actually ask that question, especially for, for children who are 17 at the time. And 17 in our community uh, covers a lot of bodies. That's a lot of the people that can go through those courts and be subject to very harsh sentences if there isn't a test. So to be able to look at those young defendants and say, are they acting out of some measure of immaturity or uh, is just who they are? But will they outgrow this? Can this be corrected? I think that is hopefully uh, providing a measure of hope for a lot of the kids in our community uh, that oftentimes are treated a little harshly when it comes to not only being convicted, but also being sentenced. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash B-I-N. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married yeah. at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation <laughs> yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Black Information Network news anchors Mike Moore and Andrea Coleman are here with us discussing this week's major stories. Our next story, Black Duke volleyball player gets heckled at a recent match with racist taunts. Andrea, give us more on this. So a young African-American volleyball player playing at uh, BYU, which is a highly conservative uh, university in uh, Utah, uh, says that when she was up to serve, she was uh she there she heard a racial a racial slur right uh someone in the stands um said something that was very unkind and offensive um and she said uh, it happened twice um she brought it to the attention of her coach who then brought it to the attention of uh the home team and their their coach and so they then if i'm not mistaken uh they had uh someone monitor and see uh, if it happened again uh and if they could identify the person who may have said it Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point during this ordeal, a young man was escorted out of the gym. Uh, news reports, however, have clarified some of what happened. So, uh, one, the reports that I have read recently, and one's coming from Fox, uh, they have said that, one, the young person that was escorted out of the gym, or I guess that that arena, uh, was escorted because they were interfering with other people, not because he suspected of having uh, uttered the slur. Uh, secondly, they've had officials, uh, they did have police along with some other coaches and uh, I guess just monitors come and stand near the area where she felt like she heard that racial slur, uh, but nobody heard anything. Uh, they're now saying some of the eyewitnesses are coming forward saying they never heard a racial slur. They never heard anyone utter anything that was offensive. And then on top of that, uh, some of the school officials have, uh, I guess they had video of that, that the, the game. Uh, they've been going over those files. And at last report, they have not heard anything or saw anything that would confirm or verify what the young lady is saying. Now, uh, does that mean it didn't happen? No. It just means that so far there hasn't been any kind of confirming evidence uh, that has been brought forth to let us know, you know, what happened and then, you know, what possibly could take place. But so far they haven't one identified anyone and then they haven't heard or, or spoke to anyone who heard or saw the same thing the young lady heard and saw. Our final story this week is the one about the elderly black man who was awarded 100 million dollars after a taser encounter with the atlanta police department andrea why not start us off with this one? well you know it's interesting because you know one 
you you hear that and it's automatic justice, right? You're like, finally, some justice. Someone is getting paid for a harm uh, that they uh, they were dealt by uh, by a police or someone in uniform who's supposed to be protecting them. So, uh, just a little background on this story. So, apparently, what happened was uh, this man was panhandling in Atlanta, which uh, I think it's. Since uh, 2012, uh, at some point within the last 10 years, uh, our city leaders here have uh, actually passed a law that says uh, it is illegal to panhandle in the city of Atlanta. So uh, this man apparently was approaching cars in a predominantly black section of Atlanta, and that behavior is pretty common there. And uh, the police came up and he stopped immediately, apparently, according to reports, he stopped immediately and and then retreated, kind of went to the side of the road. But the officer stopped and then proceeded to chase him. Well, he started running and the officer tased him. He fell and uh, he's now paralyzed. And so that $100 million sell- settlement uh, is in judgment of that. Uh, the city of Atlanta, or at least the Atlanta Police Department, is... Uh, was I think if I'm not mistaken, they are responsible for sixty million dollars of that, and then forty million of that is to come from the officer. The sad thing about this story is that that officer is a black man. So, and I just want to point this out if you if you don't mind for a moment here, um, there's justice there for the 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 man, but I don't know of any other situation where there has been a police officer that's being held accountable for his actions and has been uh, held responsible and liable for a $40 million judgment against the subject. And I wonder if that officer were white, if it would have been the same thing. Now, it's not justifying his behavior in any way, nor is it defending it. But right in this situation, we do have at least some measure of justice for the plaintiff, for that elderly man who at the time of the incident, I think was 65. He's now 69. He's paralyzed for life. Uh, his legal team said that it cost about a million dollars a year to cover his medical expenses as well as his care. And so they are trying to set him up to make certain that he's going to be taken care of for the rest of his life. The sad thing about this is that that officer uh, who has been dealt that forty million judgment? Uh, you know that's that's quite a weight. Uh, but it it would it would be so helpful if at some point people can just monitor their reactions so that they can avoid those kind of consequences. But it is heartbreaking that you're looking you're looking at that judgment coming against uh, a black officer, uh, and the victim is black too. So it would be wonderful if we could interject race here. Uh, but it's kind of hard to in this situation. Yeah, uh, Andrea, you bring out a very interesting point. I did not uh, know, quite frankly, that the officer was black. But what it made me think about when I saw the, the monetary disbursement, I said, well, that 40 million is not coming because that officer does not, does not have that. So that's not coming. The other thing I thought about the pathway, even to the to the law, and you gave a, a great reference on, on the law that was passed back in 2012, 2013 or so. Um, that came about because there was a tremendous amount of people coming into the city of Atlanta. It's, Atlanta becomes such a draw for tourism. And there was such a backlash that city leaders then decided, okay, this is not going to work. This is becoming a black eye in our city. And there was a, this, this, this heavy foot that was uh, put down in the way of this law that panhandling then became illegal. Uh, so there, there is another, um, 
another historical point as to even how that came came about. But that is so sad about uh, uh, the the other measure for for officers who uh, have been made uh, to pay for whatever bad decisions and or demeanor they um, demonstrated has usually been either a suspension, uh, dismissal from their job, the inability to even perform the capacity of a police officer in any uh, municipality, but $40 million just shook my head and continue to do so. You know, there's, um, you know, Andrea, to your point, this is something that I, I believe illuminates how oftentimes outcomes are worse for black people, regardless of what they are. They're, they're oftentimes better for white people and worse for white, for black people. As you mentioned, there was a black man that was tased. So, you know, had he been a white man, you know, maybe the police action against him may not have been as aggressive or as violent. Historically, black people have suffered police brutality more often in more high profile instances than uh, our Caucasian brothers and sisters. And I think it illuminates for this officer being black. It illuminates that, um, as you mentioned, if the officer had been white, maybe these outcomes might have been different. Maybe he might have been bolstered by the city or by his fellow officers of the police union or something like that there might, um, versus hung out to dry. Because as you mentioned, we never hear judgments against officers personally, which is something that I'm a fan of. I, I believe police officers should have insurance policies. And if they violate, then they will be uninsurable. And then that solves everyone's problems. But the fact that he is black in my humble opinion, um, you know, I talk about this on my radio show, Civic Cipher. I don't know that that really has as much of an impact as often as we like to think it does, because the institution of policing, as it is done in this country, uh, the roots of policing in this country, um, they're all based in white supremacy. It's, it's meant to upheld white wealthy landowners interests and still to this day does that very same thing and so it is possible for black people to perform in white supremacist institutions you know i was talking on on my same radio show about a child he was 12 years old riding an atv gets pulled over and turns his atv off uh, a white officer jumps out of the car the white officer that was pursuing him jumps out of the car after saying smoke him for some reason, grabs this child, he's 12 years old, black child, grabs him off of his ATV and slams him on the ground. And then the next thing you see is a black officer running toward the camera and then kicking the child once and then stomping him in the second motion. And this is a black man kicking and stomping a black child. And it's Something that, you know, this, this is not new. You know, Ice Cube wrote songs about this when I was a child back in the eighties. You know, um, it, it's just interesting. Um, how in this instance, even the black officer upholding the white supremacist institution and ideals and values and, and is bolstering the outcomes, um, is still left, uh, out to dry. And so, uh, yeah, absolutely. It is very interesting. And, 
Um, as you mentioned, there is some justice. They've, they've set the, uh, the gentleman who is now paralyzed up for the rest of his life and hopefully, um, you know, giving him a little bit of a silver lining, you know, for his story because he won't die broken and crippled. Um, and if he was panhandling, obviously this is a, a complete turnaround for him, but, but yeah, um, another story, uh, you know, not too many surprises there, but again, it is interesting. So, uh, of course, I want to thank you both very much for your time. Uh, our guests today are Black Information Network news anchors, Mike Moore and Andrea Coleman. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. I'm your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us Monday as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are, and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. So my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.